According to White House propagandists, we are in the midst of the greatest economic recovery in the history of the world. According to our lying eyes, the economy is in the gutter. According to America's first quarter economic numbers, our lying eyes are right. GDP, first look, first quarter, is a nasty minus 1.4. Minus 1.4. We haven't had a minus sign since that nasty second quarter, COVID-related in 2020. Let's go through it. Consumption drops to 2.7, well below expectations. Although, sequentially, it's actually higher than last time, which was 2.5. The pricing index, buckle up, 8%. percent. That is unbelievable to find a higher number than 8%. You have to go back to 1981. And if you look at the personal consumption expenditure quarter over quarter, that was up 5.2. Now that isn't so bad because the high water mark there is actually 6.1 from June of last year. And that took us back to 1983. So GDP is way up. Sorry, GDP is way down. Prices are way up. Household spending is way up. Each of those things separately, very bad. Together, absolutely terrible. CNBC is reporting these numbers as unexpected. It's always unexpected when liberal economic policies fail. It's not unexpected by me. It's not unexpected by you. But to the supposed experts, it is always unexpected just like it's always unexpected when conservative economic policies work. So that's CNBC's line. Unexpected, aberration, totally weird. The New York Times is taking a different tack to cover for the Biden administration. And that is to say that the dismal economic numbers are actually a good thing. Breaking news, reports the New York Times. The U.S. economy shrank in the first quarter but the numbers may mask the recovery's resilience. The GDP has collapsed, the record inflation, the soaring gas prices, the soaring food prices. That's all just an illusion, you see. Great and glorious leader Joe Biden is secretly taking care of all the people, and he is the greatest and most popular president in the history of the world, and he won 85 bazillion votes. We all joke about the absurd propaganda that comes out of North Korea, comes out of China, comes out of Russia. Pravda, at the height of the Soviet Union, had nothing on the New York Times. Actually, the New York Times was also covering for the Soviets at the height of the Soviet Union. I have bad news for you, and the fact checkers can censor me for saying it if they want to, but it's the truth. The economy is not in recovery. Joe Biden's policies have been catastrophic, and none of this is unexpected. In fact, you can mark my prediction now, before Biden's economy gets better, you can expect it to get a whole lot worse. I'm Michael Knowles, this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Conversion Ninjas, who said the teacher union's next push will be smaller classrooms in the form of windowless vans filled with candy. (laughs) I think that's probably a pretty good guess given the way things are going with some of that prurient content in the classroom. Speaking of those sorts of things, I I actually, I do 
want to talk to you about how to relax, chill out, let all the stress of this crazy political cycle just melt away when you go to sleep on your beautiful Helix mattress. Right now, go to helixsleep.com slash and enter my boudoir and take a little look-see at my bed. Sit down, please enter to my bed, but actually not my bed. That's kind of the whole point. You shouldn't be sleeping on a bed that was made for someone else. You are unique. You deserve a bed that was made for you. Helix can do it. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes two minutes to complete, matches your body type and sleep references to the perfect mattress for you. Why buy one made for someone else? With Helix, you know that you are getting a mattress made for the way that you sleep. Whether you prefer a soft mattress, a medium mattress, a firm mattress, whether you want to be cooled down a little bit because you, you sleep a little bit hot, whether you've got some spinal alignment issues, maybe you want a plus size mattress for plus size sleepers. Helix has it for you. They will match you to the perfect mattress. Mattress comes right to your door, comes shipped, no big deal. If you do not like it, they've got a 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights. You're going to love it, though, so none of that even matters. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Knowles. That's helixsleep.com slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S. The disinformation is at least as intense as anything we've ever seen in the world, but it's not coming only from tin pot dictators on the other side of the globe. It's coming from the New York Times. Economy looks like it's in terrible shape according to every single metric, but actually that is good news for Joe Biden. Really good news, strong Joe Biden recovery at the very same time that the White House has established a disinformation board. If the White House really were going to establish an actual disinformation board that were out to suppress disinformation, the New York Times would not exist today. The New York Times would, the entire newspaper would be disbanded. The building would be reduced to rubble. They would salt the earth where the building once stood. But the disinformation board that the White House is setting up is not really seeking to stop disinformation. The disinformation board is seeking to spread disinformation and stop true information from getting out. The way we know this is because the woman who was named to lead the disinformation board was a major purveyor of disinformation during the 2020 election. This woman propagated the claim that the Hunter Biden laptop was not legitimate, was Russian disinformation. It wasn't real. And all, all the evidence of the Biden family's crimes, nothing to see here. It was totally fake. Please ignore it. Turned out that wasn't true. Now, even the liberals will admit that the Hunter Biden laptop was totally legit. There are some legitimate questions about Hunter's dealings in Ukraine, Hunter's dealings in China, and more importantly, Joe Biden's dealings in those places. The 10% equity that was being kicked back to the big guy, the $5 million, more than $5 million discrepancy on Joe Biden's financial disclosures. They'll admit that now after the presidential election when it doesn't matter. But at the time, the woman leading the disinfo board today was pushing all of that disinformation. Jen Psaki was just asked about this. A reporter said, hey, hold on, isn't it a little weird that you've got this peddler of disinfo running the disinfo board? Jen Psaki didn't have much of an answer. She had previously called the Hunter Biden laptop a, a Trump campaign product, um, seeming to discredit its validity or <clears throat> validity of reporting surrounding that. Um, how can, can you assuage concerns of people who are looking at this person who's been appointed to this position and wondering if she's going to be able to accurately judge misinformation now that a lot of that reporting has been uh, proven to be 
factual in some ways. Well, I don't have any comments on the laptop, but what I can tell you is that it sounds like the objective of the board is to prevent disinformation and misinformation from traveling around the country in a range of communities. I'm not sure who opposes that effort. Even Jen Psaki's response is disinformation because what she said is obviously not true. She said, one, I'm not going to talk about the laptop because it exposes the corruption of my boss. So I'm, not, I'm just not going to talk about it, even though it's a very important news story. But, but two, she says, well, look, it sounds like the purpose of the board is to stop disinformation. It doesn't sound like that at all. If it, if it sounded like that, then the person picked to lead the board would not be one of the big peddlers of disinformation, which is the point of the question. So what it sounds like to me is that the point of the board is to encourage disinformation, which means suppressing conservatives, suppressing real true news stories, and just spouting the party line from the, the ruling class. That's what it sounds like to me. And I don't know who would ever oppose that. You, you're the ones opposing that. That's what you're doing. You are the people that you are accusing of spreading disinformation. And you know it. She knows it. She's not a stupid woman, Jen Psaki. I, I don't know. I can't really speak to Joe Biden. He doesn't seem like he's got all of his marbles. And he was never the brightest bulb in the shed, to mix metaphors. But the people who are running the establishment, they're not stupid people. Mayorkas at DHS, the f army of faceless bureaucrats who run, who run the actual government. They're not, they're not stupid people. They know what they're doing. And they know what the effect of this will be. Is it any coincidence that they announce the disinformation governance board, what, three days after Elon Musk announces that the libs aren't going to have a complete and total monopoly on big tech? Previously, the libs had a total monopoly over the flow of information around the country. Then Elon Musk comes in and he says, I'm going to give conservatives free speech. Three days later, the government says, yeah, we're going to have a disinformation board. Is that, that's a coincidence? I don't think so. Speaking of disinformation, and speaking of my predictive powers, the, the dark magic of Nostradamus predicting the future, <laughs> yesterday on this show, I talked about how one of the silliest lines in public discourse is this line, when people who have 17,000 vaccines and booster shots and took the jab and, you know, they're really bought in on the whole COVID regime, and then they contract COVID which they weren't supposed to do if they got the vaccine. Remember, Fauci, Walensky, Biden all said, if you get the vaccine, you won't catch COVID and you won't spread COVID either. And then what happens? They catch COVID. And then the line they always use is, well, thank goodness I got the vaccine. Like, why? You got COVID. They said, no, well, it would, it would have been a lot worse if I didn't have the vaccine. What do they base that on? Pretty much nothing. So Maxine Waters tested positive for COVID. We wish her a speedy recovery. Here's what she said. Today, I've received a positive test result for COVID. I'm currently isolating and have no symptoms, just like most people who catch COVID, has no symptoms at all. I am following all protocols as recommended by the Office of the Attending Physician and CDC guidance. I'm grateful to be fully vaccinated <laughs> and to receive two booster shots. Thankfully, I'm feeling fine. I recommend everyone get vaccinated if you've not done so already. So <laughs> call me old-fashioned, but when I was growing up, uh, what a vaccine meant was a vaccine was a medical intervention to prevent you from contracting a malady. Right, that's that's the, what the definition of a vaccine is. And that's what our entire ruling class promised us that this vaccine was going to do for COVID. And then that didn't happen. The vaccine didn't actually do that. And so they changed their story and they said that a vaccine actually does not uh, seek to stop you from contracting or spreading a virus. It just seeks to mitigate the symptoms, which is not what a vaccine is. 
that you could call that a pre-contraction therapeutic. You could call it medicine you take before you catch the thing. But you can't, what, what they are spreading is very silly misinformation. They're not persuading anybody. Our genius ruling liberal elites are not persuading anybody. That's why they've got to control the narrative. That's why they've got to censor conservatives. That's why they've got to control the algorithms on social media. That's why they've got to control the establishment news media and Hollywood. They have to do it because they're not really persuading anyone. And so their views are not going to become popular organically, if they can ever become popular at all. It has to be done by force. This is why the minute that conservatives get even a little foothold into social media, the whole narrative shifts. This actually began in the early days of social media. In the very early days, the late 2000s and then early 20-teens, conservatives absolutely crushed it on social media because they'd been kept out of the establishment media for so many decades that the moment that there was a chance for conservatives to spread a message, it spread like wildfire. And then this led pretty much directly to Donald Trump getting elected president. He was sort of memed into the presidency. And right after that, all the libs lobbied the big tech companies and they said, you can't let this happen again. Conservatives are doing too well on your platform. They suppressed the conservatives. Elon announces that he's going to take over Twitter and make it fairer for conservatives. Overnight, conservative accounts jump by leaps and bounds. I've gained something like 80,000 followers in the past few days on Twitter. And it's not just bots. It's people engaging with me. It's blue check marks who are verified humans. Just the moment that conservatives get any shot at a fair break, the message spreads much more clearly. Why? Because look at the spokesmen who, who the left has. Not only are the claims that they're making preposterous, they're saying the economy is in recovery. When we all go to the gas tank, we all, or the gas pump rather, we all go to the grocery store. We all see that the economy is not doing great. We, they say that immigration's just fine. We know it's not fine. We've got millions of people pouring over the border. They say foreign affairs are much better. Thank goodness the adults are in charge. What are you talking about? We have the first major war in Europe since World War II. We, we see facts on the ground. Things are not going well. Education's great. Oh yeah, because you're transing five-year-olds. So I don't think that's great. You're reading porn to little kids in elementary school. I don't think that's great. You're telling white kids that they're evil by virtue of their race through critical race theory. I don't think that's great. Parents don't think that that's great around the country. So we see the facts on the ground, but then just look at their spokesman. You've got Joe Biden. He is the most prominent Democrat in the country, president of the United States. Here is the kind of soaring Periclean rhetoric that we're getting from President Joe Biden. I'm also sending to Congress a comprehensive package of, uh, that will enhance our underlying effort to accommodate the Russian oligarchs uh, and make sure we take their take their, their ill-begotten gains. <laughs> We're going to accommodate them. <laughs> We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. Kleptocracy. And klep- the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> but these are bad guys. Ha, 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 ha. Now, you know what the Democrats do? When Joe Biden just stumbles over his own words, has no idea what he's saying, can't pronounce certain words, uses words in a way that don't make any sense whatsoever, repeats himself within the very same breath. When, they, when he does all of that, when he shows obvious signs of cognitive decline, the libs say, oh, well, you know, that's his childhood stutter. That's what they say. They, they trotted this line out during the 2020 
election, and specifically at the De- Democrat National Convention in 2020, they had to explain Joe Biden's obvious senility. And so they said, well, it's because of this childhood stutter. And the libs just went with that. They said, yes, it's the childhood stutter. I actually, I had liberal friends and relatives tell me, they said, no, Michael, you know, what we hear is that's just the way Joe Biden always was. What are you talking about? Biden's been in politics for 50 years. You know what he always was. Did you forget so soon? This is obviously a market change. They say, no, no, just a childhood stutter. What, a childhood stutter that disappeared for 70 years and then just came back in the man's late 70s, roaring with a vengeance? No, of course not. That's insane. It cannot be overstated how dramatic the cognitive decline of Joe Biden has been in recent years. Just to compare it, I'm just picking a clip at random. There's a clip that was going around the internet. This is Joe Biden 20 years ago yelling at a U.S. Marine while he was senator from Delaware. The context actually doesn't really matter. Listen to this man and tell me that the only thing that's wrong with Joe Biden today is a a childhood stutter. I respectfully suggest they have a responsibility slightly above your pay grade. Slightly above your pay grade to decide whether or not to take the nation to war alone or to take the nation to war partway or to take the nation to war half halfway. That's a real tough decision. That's why they get paid the big bucks. That's why they get the limos and you don't. I mean this sincerely. I'm not trying to be flip because I think and that's why I said at the outset, the reason why I'm glad you did what you did. We should come to our milk. We should make a decision. But in terms of whether the Secretary of State has no more to consider than you do as the arms inspector, you didn't get in, didn't get my job done, get me in. Period. You made the deal, right? That's the deal. A deal's a deal. Get me in. Scott Ritter, I'm ready to go. It's not how it works. So Joe Biden is the same nasty man that he's been his whole career. We kind of forget that because he's he's created this image. Really, the, the establishment media have created this image of nice old happy Uncle Joe licking an ice cream cone. He's, an, he's not a nice guy. He's a very, very nasty man who's done very nasty things throughout his career. And he always uses weird phrases. That's nothing new either. Got to come to our milk, okay? We got to. And so those sort of weird colloquialisms, folky sayings, that, that has been part of Joe's career too. But that's not what we're seeing. When Joe Biden says, then the Russian yachts and the Kleppy, Kle, Kleptum, who's Winona Ryder and the, uh, anyway, bad guys, huh? When he does that, it's, it's not a stutter that's happening, okay? It's not just some lifelong speech affliction that he's had. It's because he's in clear, clear cognitive decline. He's got one one thousandth the energy today that he had 20 years ago. Forget 20 years ago, five years ago, six years ago during the Biden administration, or during the the Obama administration, rather. When he was the vice president, Biden had much more energy and acuity. He's never been the brightest bulb in the pack, but he at least had a kind of political sharpness. That's gone. That's totally gone. And he seems vacant. He seems very much in trouble. So he's just a vessel. He's an empty suit to run the show at the whims of the liberal establishment. And things are not going very well as a result. And the, lib, the libs are, they seem happy about it. They say, no, it's actually a good thing. It's, it's a good thing that your gas prices are way up. It's actually a sign of a strong economy when you really think about it, when you really think about it in the long term. Mark Ruffalo, the liberal actor, is making this argument explicitly. He's saying the high gas prices, that's a good thing. He's, he's going even further. He's saying the war in Ukraine 
is a gift to Joe Biden because that'll spike the price of gas and that will give Biden an opportunity to move to a green agenda. This is a moment for President Biden to take this, um, our, our momentum, people's fear, um, their disgust with the war, their disgust with energy prices, and, and, and use that to solidify a message to the American people that now is the time to transition. This is where the jobs are. This is where national security is. And we are going to keep pushing him to do it. And this is, a, this is a gift to the president as we see it. And we see him uh, accepting it in such terms. This is a gift. Now, did Mark Ruffalo consciously mean to say that it's a, it's a good thing that Ukrainians are dying? And Russian soldiers, I guess, too. But did, he, did he mean to say it's a good thing that thousands and thousands of people are dying because now we can fight the sun monster? No, I don't think consciously he meant to say that, but that's what he said. That's what that means. This war in Ukraine, it's a gift. It's a gift, and, and Biden can really make the most of it. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is something that liberals have said and believed for a very long time, which is that people are the problem, which is that nature, whatever we mean by nature, is much more important than people. The traditional view of our relationship to the created world is that we are stewards of it, that the world is for us, for our delight, and we have to be responsible stewards of that. And what the left has done is flipped that entirely. According to the left, we are not the highest of creation, such that we, we, the birds of the air and the fowl and the fish of the sea, that, that's all for us. No. They flipped it such that human beings are parasites on the earth. We're destroying nature. The, the animals and the trees, they're not for us. We need to serve them. We're, we're a plague. We've got to thin out our numbers. We've got to stop doing stuff. And you know, if, if some people get killed so that gas goes up and increases more suffering for people who can't heat their homes and who can't fill their gas tanks, well, hey, that actually, that's probably a pretty good thing because that'll force the people to move to solar energy or windmills or whatever. That's what they really believe. And it's not because of any scientific argument or anything like that. It's just because they don't like people. They, they care a lot about humanity in the abstract, but they don't care about actual people. It's, it comes down to as simple a, a, an idea as that. Conservatives, pro-human, pro-people on lots of issues, on abortion, on environment, <laughs> environmentalism, on everything, on the family, and the left, anti-people. There's a woman who's gone viral, a pro-abortion activist who's gone viral, uh, thanks, of course, to our friends at Libs of TikTok, for, for defending the use of aborted babies to make biofuel. Aborted babies being burned and then used for electricity? The real answer to that question is nobody really f-ing cares, actually. You could bake them, fillet them, fricassee them, barbecue, roast. You could broil them, pan fry them. I do not care. And let's be honest here, if we could burn those suckers for actual like lights and power, I feel like we're on to something. You guys are so anti-solar. Here you go. It's a resource we're going to have no matter what. But I mean, really though, th- this this is what you guys are pushing now? They're burning fetuses for fuel? I mean, I, it's better than going into a landfill though, right? 
So this demon is making some conflicting arguments here. The first point is she's doubting the veracity of what that pro-life activist at the top is saying, namely that abortion activists are sending aborted babies to bio-waste facilities to be turned into biofuel. She says, you th- you're, that's your line now? You're saying that's really happening? Yes, that, that is really happening. That ha- I can at least say that has happened. I am strongly inclined to believe that that is still happening. But at the very least, even liberal media outlets, very established liberal media outlets, I've got the CBC right here, have admitted that it has happened. Tissue, fetal tissue, aborted babies have been sent to bio-waste processing facilities to be turned into energy. That has happened. Okay, so just on her factual claims, yes, that is happening. And then she says, well, I don't care if it's happening. That's fine by me. That's good. Isn't that better than going to a landfill? I don't know if it's better or worse than, than sending aborted babies to a landfill. I think they should be buried and be given, uh, they should be given funerals because they've been killed and they're people and people deserve funerals. And just like when your grandma or grandpa die, you're not going to leave them in the streets to be eaten by dogs and you're not going to send them to some dystopian facility to, to power your television set. Just like you would treat them with respect because we recognize that there is something sort of sacred about a human body. So too, we should do the same thing with aborted babies, innocent little babies who have been killed. And then she says the line to be provocative. She says, I don't care what you do with them. I don't care. Fricassee them, saute them, fry them up. I don't, what do I care? And she's trying to be provocative, sure, but I, I, I suspect she really believes this because her argument is it rests entirely on denying that the babies are babies. They're not really human. Well, of course they're human. What do you think they are? Platypuses? No. Well, they're not really individuals. Of course they're individuals. They have individual DNA. They have, they have ind- individual human processes outside of the mother even when they're connected by an umbilical cord. They have separate individual human processes. Well, they're not really alive. Of course they're alive. That's why you have to kill them in order to have an abortion. If they're, if they're not alive, then you don't worry. Don't have the abortion and nothing will happen, right? Then no, of course, what will happen is they will continue to grow and then they will be born because they're alive. So, so her argument rests on denying that and saying, well, it's just a clump of cells. I don't care, whatever. Fry them, fricassee them. You sometimes hear this argument with regard to eating dogs. We all know there's something wrong about eating dogs. There's just something kind of wrong about it. I don't even like dogs. I'm a people person, but I would not want to eat a dog. It's, there seems something wrong about eating an animal that has grown and been trained to be man's best friend, to trust human beings, and then we turn on them and eat them and kill them. That, that, would be, that seems wrong to me. How much more wrong, how infinitely more wrong would it be to do that sort of thing to human beings? But if you have no respect for human dignity, for uh, the moral order for the, the idea that humans are more than just flesh and, and blood, or are more than just big sacks of chemicals, that we actually have souls and spirits and that there are things in this world, namely everything that really matters to us, our hopes, our dreams, our loves, our joys that are beyond the material world. If you, if you deny all of that, then yeah, I guess her argument makes sense. It's just, unfortunately, it's just completely wrong. You're seeing this kind of radicalism from not just kooks on TikTok, but from il- elected Democrats and Democratic candidates. John Fetterman, Lieutenant Governor of Pennsylvania, Democrat candidate for Senate, he just said there should be no limits on abortion. If I'm in the United States Senate, I would immediately support the first campaign to support the elimination of the filibuster to make sure that we codify women's reproductive freedom 
in law to make sure that even if the Supreme Court does go down that road and uh, eliminate or re revoke Roe v. Wade, that we already existingly codify that into law and make sure that we can't go back. Abortions are going to continue in America, whether it's legal or not. They just won't be safe if they're illegal. And we can't ever go back to that. We just can't. And are there any limits on abortion you would find appropriate? I, I don't believe so. So this guy is either stupid or dishonest, or maybe he's both. Uh, his argument doesn't make sense philosophically. You could say, well, home burglaries are going to happen in America. So we can either do it in a safe way where we don't, where the homeowner is not allowed to protect himself and they roll out the red carpet for him, or we can do it in a dangerous way where people might get hurt. So it's going to happen. You're never going to stop that. I guess it's, I guess it's going to happen, but when you pass laws against things, you get less of those things. That's what the law does. Some utopians say otherwise. They say you get more of a certain behavior when you outlaw it, but that's not really true. You get less of it. We need safe abortions. There's no such thing as a safe abortion because every abortion kills a baby. And, and a lot of abortions imperil the lives of women. And when abortion became legal, you had a lot more abortions. The kind of radicalism, there should be no limits whatsoever, he says. Up until the very moment of birth, no limits whatsoever. You want to talk about disinformation? Forget about this guy. This guy's adult, even though he does wield some political power. A CBS has, has uh, an abortion reporter. Her name is Kate Smith. I'm sorry. They had an abortion reporter named Kate Smith. She was supposed to be the disinterested reporter, not opinion columnist, reporter covering abortion in America. She's going to go now and work at Planned Parenthood. She's going to go be the top propagandist for Planned Parenthood now, the biggest abortion mill in America. Now, I'm not even specifically knocking her here for supporting abortion, though she should be knocked for that, right? She should be criticized for support. That is evil in and of itself. But there's a further problem here, which is she pretended to be a disinterested journalist for years but in our totally unbiased, disinterested mainstream media outlets like CBS News. And she's not. She, she literally is a propagandist for Planned Parenthood. That's disinformation. The next time I hear about those brave, intrepid reporters, the fourth estate speaking truth to power, they're not. They're Pravda. They're Pravda. They, they make Pravda look like schoolboys, Okay. They are as, as preposterous the sort of propagandists that you see in North Korea, okay, and here in the United States. What a shame that is that we have to say that. You know, at the Daily Wire, we're trying to fight back. We've started our own publishing wing. It's called DW Books. We are really happy to publish books that actively fight the left's monopoly on storytelling, such as Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America by Julio Rosas in it. Julio exposes the Black Lives Matter riots that broke out across the country in the aftermath of George Floyd's death for the sham that they were. Rosas, who was reporting from the ground, gives his firsthand experience and illuminates the media's attempts to convince Americans that the fatal and destructive riots were peaceful. Check out the trailer. The media gaslit the American people for all of 2020 as the riots unfolded. They did not give you the full story. I was there. George Floyd, Kyle Rittenhouse, Ray Shard Books, Chaz in Seattle. I saw all the riots with my own eyes. Windshields being smashed, giant rocks that were being thrown. Businesses that were starting to be looted. The crowd started to become hostile. All the cops were trapped and surrounded. Police were being ordered to, to retreat. I experienced the, the tear gas. I experienced the smoke. This was very real to me. The mainstream media, they were trying to call them protests. CNN with that Chiron saying fiery but mostly peaceful. 
They're trying to push a narrative of don't believe your lying eyes because they were trying to appease that very dedicated Antifa movement that's there. When you read my book, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, you will get the full story. You will learn what actually happened during the riots of 2020 and what the media did not want to tell you. Buy my book, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, everywhere books are sold. The book is available for pre-order right now on Amazon or anywhere you buy books online. So head on over to pre-order your copy today. We'll be right back with the mailbag. Welcome back to my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. First question up from Bridget. Dear Mr. Knowles, my name is Bridget. First off, thank you for everything you do. I am a huge fan of what you say and the points that you state in politics and how it is tied with faith. That being said, I need advice on dating. Everybody does. I'm waiting for marriage. It has been nearly impossible to meet someone with the same values that I believe in, especially with the guys at my college in the hookup culture. There is one guy who has the same beliefs as me who attends the Newman Center on campus. That's a Catholic center on campus. I want to at least get to know him, especially since I've had a crush since I first met him. The dilemma is that I have never talked to him. He doesn't really know my name and he's older than me, so he'll be graduating sooner than I will. Should I say hi to him before the end of the semester or should I be patient to see if he does first? Asking for a hopeful answer from a hopeless romantic. No, don't be hopeless. Yes, you should. You should go introduce yourself and say hello. Come on, go ahead and do it. First of all, I wouldn't be at all surprised if this guy wants to talk to you too, and he's just a little shy and he's just a little nervous. And, you know, young men in general can suffer from a lack of confidence sometimes. And also with the craziness of our dating scene these days, he might, he might not exactly know how to do it, but sure, go do it. What have you got to lose? Just go up, introduce yourself, say, Hey, back in my single days, I liked it when girls would come up and say they liked me. (laughs) So do it. Go for it. Why not? What have you got to lose? What do you have, what do you have to gain? Oh, I don't know. A husband and a family and a good life. And what do you have to lose? I don't know. He's not interested. You don't get a cup of coffee and you move on. From Steve, I have a relationship question, which feels strange to write. I'm married. Uh Uh-oh. I'm married in my thirties and have a solid job. My question is when it comes to my female coworkers, when is flirting appropriate for someone in my position? I've never crossed any physical lines. Uh, Good. And flirting often feels like the female version of guys joking around and bashing each other in a locker room, uh, like uh, when they're friends. However, I also realize there is always a point at which anything can turn from appropriate to sinful. What are your thoughts on flirting with people while in a relationship and where is the line? Thanks. Really, really good question. I am of Sicilian extraction, as I may have mentioned once or twice. Uh, We are known traditionally as some of the most flirtatious people in the world. I also come from New York. New Yorkers have a reputation of being a little bit flirtatious, okay? So I I think that can be perfectly fine. All right, that that can actually be a sort of lovely aspect of life. Uh, But it has to be couched within real standards. And the standard that I would recommend to you is the standard of chivalry. Okay. There's a line, I'm going to take this in kind of a weird direction. There's a line in Edmund Burke. It's probably the most famous line in Edmund Burke's Reflections on the Revolution in France. He is uh, long credited with being the, the founder of modern conservative political philosophy. Edmund Burke is describing Marie Antoinette. And he says, uh, it is 16 or 17 years since I saw the uh, Queen of France, then the Dauphiness at Versailles. And 
a surely never lighted on this orb, a more delightful vision. A surely never lighted on this orb, which she hardly seemed to touch, a more delightful vision. And he goes on to talk about how awful it is that the radicals would go after Marie Antoinette. And he should have thought that a thousand swords must have leapt from their scabbards to avenge even an insulting look at Marie Antoinette. Now, is that him being licentious and lustful after Marie, Marie Antoinette? Is that him thirst posting the Queen of France or being unfaithful to his wife or anything like that? No. No, it's not. But it's, it's couched within chivalry. Uh, two, you're talking about the workplace. Keep it buttoned up at the workplace. Just as a general rule, you should be even more restrained at the workplace in general. Back in the old days, when there weren't a whole lot of women in the workplace, when it was mostly kind of a boys club, you could be a little looser maybe with your language. You could be a little looser with your behavior. But when you're in mixed company, generally it's an important thing to do to, to keep things together. And two, uh, you don't want to end up in front of HR. So I would, I would keep that relatively buttoned up. And then three, you, you kind of tip your hand here a little bit, which is you say, nothing's gotten physical. Whoa, buddy, there, there's a bit, you know, look, if you go up to some lady on the street, you say, that's a beautiful dress. That, that doesn't need to imply any, anything about your sexual desire for that woman. You might just say, oh, you're, you're looking lovely today. That's a, that's a wonderful thing to say. But if you're saying now, look, I haven't let anything get physical. Now, now you're implying something else. Now you're implying, okay, I really have a strong desire for this woman. I, and that, that's not a good thing. I would, uh, I say this even as a um, you know, man from the same culture as Giacomo Casanova. I would err on the side of caution. From Whiskey Rebel. Hey, Michael, I'm a longtime listener and a first-time subscriber. My wife and I have been married for seven years and have three children together. We're Florida residents, and the parental rights and education bill uh, and Disney's response have led us to having some intense, though not heated, discussions around the content that our kids are consuming from Disney. She doesn't believe any of this warrants completely excising Disney from our lives and still wants to take the kids to Disney World and, and let them watch their content and have an overall Disney childhood like we had. Her solution is just only let them watch content that we approve of. I believe the Disney childhood we wanted for them cannot happen so long as Disney overtly pushes a sexual ideology into their kids' entertainment and theme parks. What would you do in my situation? Thanks for all you do. P.S. came for Ben State for Knowles. Thanks, man. You're a man of excellent taste, obviously. And you're right. And your wife is wrong. Uh, we, we were just debating this in, in our own household. And uh, I wouldn't even say we were debating. I guess we were on the same page. And then one day I'm at work and I get an email. Your, your Disney Plus subscription has been canceled. And I just knew it was my wife made the executive decision. We're not doing this. The reason that it's going to be really hard no, I'm not saying don't show your kid Fantasia or something, but the reason it'll be hard to raise your kid on a steady diet of good old Disney, but not new Disney, is that the, the point of these cartoon childhood universes is that you, you develop an attachment to the characters. So then you want to see the characters in everything else. So Disney, you know, Mickey Mouse 50 years ago was a great wholesome cartoon. Disney and Mickey Mouse today is pushing transgenderism. The kid is not going to be able to distinguish between good old Mickey Mouse and new, creepy, weird, pervert Mickey Mouse. So I, I would just recommend more or less cutting out Disney. I'm not saying don't show the kid Pinocchio. I'm not saying a movie here or there, but I wouldn't make your kid a Disney kid. I would, I would look for something else because that, that's how they get you. That's how the left always gets you. They go into institutions that are important, that have prestige, that have a long legacy that people are attracted to. And then they pervert those institutions and they, they play on people's uh, affection for that institution. And that's exactly what they're doing at Disney. 
And it's powerful. They do it because it works. So you, you've got to watch out for that. From Disney, or from Disney, from Christina. Hi, Michael. What is your advice for dealing with people who refuse to see those of us who chose not to get vaccinated now that there is less segregation between vaxxed and unvaxxed because most of the mandates have been dropped? It seems that it is now socially acceptable for liberals to associate with us again. However, I still don't feel comfortable after being ostracized for so long. What's the best way to move forward? Thanks. Yeah, move forward, move on. I'm not saying in general, lib society, you can, you can say, look, I don't want to go join your stupid club or I don't want, you know, for people who are just the average lib who ostracized you in society. But if you talk about your friends and family and they went through some neurotic break during COVID because they believed Dr. Fauci, as a lot of people did, a lot of, a lot of gullible people believed the lab coats because they spoke from a position of authority, even though they were wrong about pretty much everything. And you were fortunate that you knew better than to follow these very corrupt people who were running our country. Um, but, you know, if, if because of their neurosis, they didn't want you over for Thanksgiving and now they're saying, come back over and it's your friend or your family, just go back over. I'm not the kind of guy that holds a grudge. Life's too short. Just move on. It's good. You get your friend back. That's fine. They went through a thing. They maybe came out the other end. That's okay. From Camille. Hey, Michael, I have another dating question. I recently told a story about a guy I kind of dated in college. Ain't that, ain't that the story of college? We kind of dated. Uh, we were in the same friend group and tried dating at the end of my sophomore and senior years. Both times I moved back home when school ended and felt like he wasn't right for me. I basically told him that I just wasn't, it just wasn't working for me and that we make better friends. However, after telling this story to some of my guy friends, I received a lot of backlash and was called heartless. So my question is, did I not end things well? I thought by not leading him on, I was being nice. And what is the best way to end things with a guy? Sincerely chilling with my jar of hearts. Yeah, I would, I would just be clear. Say, yeah, so, you know, man, I'm just not interested. Clarity is a lot better. The only thing I think you did wrong is you, you dated him twice. So what happened? You dated the first time. You realized you didn't like him that much. And then what, you got bored and you started dating him again because nothing better was around? You know, that's not a good thing to do. I wouldn't recommend that. That kind of ambiguity is not, not really nice to him. But if you're, if you're going to say, hey, look, we tried it. We dated a little. That's not, this isn't it. Then, you know, move on. That's okay. Free him up. He can go find another girl. He might be sad, but whatever. You can pretend that you'll remain friends, but you almost certainly won't. And then you move on and find a hunk. You know, that's just the way, that's just the way these things go. From Jacob. Hey, Michael. I really enjoy the show. Thank you. I recently just graduated early from the University of Delaware. Since then, I've been contributing to society as an engineer. Unfortunately, my family all wants to go see me graduate. And Joe Biden is the guest speaker. I feel like it's not worth going since I've been out of school for some time now, but my parents and grandparents still want me to go, even if it means they have to sit through a Biden speech. I really don't want to listen to a Biden speech either, especially if I have to take a day off work. Any thoughts on the matter? Sincerely, if uh, only the Daily Wire hired mechanical engineers. Yeah, I don't know. With all the rain in Nashville, maybe we'll need some soon. You should go to your graduation. It's not just about you. It is about your parents. It is about your grandparents. You should go. You should especially go because the president is speaking. I think this guy is a big dummy and extremely corrupt, and I don't want to listen to him say a single word either, and I'm not convinced he can articulate a single word. But it is cool to see the president speak. If we have any respect left for the office and it's dwindling by the day, then it is kind of cool. And it'll especially be cool for your parents and grandparents and you should just suck it up and go. Also because forget Biden, forget your family for a second. 
it's a milestone in your life. You might say, well, college is worthless these days. Well, it's not exactly worthless, but yes, I agree. You don't get a great education anymore, and it's extremely overpriced, and it's kind of a racket. And Yeah, I grant all of that. I'm not defending college or Joe Biden or even your family's desires. But you did go. You did go to college, and it actually is a part of your biography, and therefore it actually is a big moment in your life to graduate. And ritual is very important as human beings putting our body into it. We, we don't just live on Zoom. We're not just brains. Well, increasingly we do, unfortunately, but we're not just brains floating in the ether, right? We're not, we, we have bodies, we live in space, we live in time, and, and you've got to do certain rituals. And you're going to look back on it and say, I remember my college graduation. So I, I would do that. From Daniel. Michael, I've been a Daily Wire member for well over a year, and I am now one of those new followers of you on Twitter. Oh, thank you. I know, I've got a lot of them now. I couldn't tell if it was bots, but you don't seem like a bot. You seem like a real human. I've never had a Twitter or even cared about Twitter. I have a theory that the reason for the uptick in followers for conservatives has to do with more conservatives joining Twitter. Conservatives now see a space where they can get information without the big tech overlords and are now following all their faves, including yourself. What are your thoughts on that? I think you might be right. At first, I took a dimmer view, more skeptical view, and I said, no, it's just all these bots flooding in. Still might be some combination. But just the increase in engagement with real people who are writing real things, and even with blue checks who are theoretically verified humans, I think that very likely might be the case. The conservatives were shut out. A lot of us got extremely angry when they kicked Trump off. We thought that was so egregious, so outrageous. And then furthermore, uh, Twitter itself would start banning conservatives for saying innocuous things. When Elon was announced as the new, new head of Twitter, I just started tweeting out things you previously weren't allowed to say. The 2020 election was obviously rigged. Ivermectin's a wonder drug. The, the public health authorities have lied to us for two years. I just tweeted those things out and no, no flags, no censorship, no suspension. And so I suspect a lot of people who previously had their cans, accounts banned just came back on. From Jordan. Hey, Michael. I was born and raised in New York with the high crime rate, insane taxes, and leftist lunacy. It's looking like it might be time to move. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions on places in the United States that would be good for young adult conservative Catholics to live. Thank you very much. I do. It's called Nashville, Tennessee. That's where I would recommend you go. Head on over to Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, one last question from Anonymous. Michael, what drives the culture of educators to think that it is appropriate to share personal information of any kind in the workplace, in any office space, structured business or corporation? This type of behavior is frowned upon. To have a conversation with a coworker about a romantic relationship is a great way to get sent to HR in my occupation. What does this change in a school. Sincerely, pre-order, speechless, controlling words, controlling minds. You know, I'll go a little further on this. I am not convinced that it's always at all times wrong for teachers to share aspects of their personal life. If you call a teacher Mrs. Smith, you know that she's married. Mrs. means you're married. Okay, so I know a lot of times we want to say that we don't want teachers talking in any way about any of their romantic relationships. Or, but that's not exactly true. We just don't want them talking about the weird, unusual, creepy stuff. And we don't want them talking about the stuff that is morally debatable. And we don't want them talking about the stuff that huge, sw- huge swaths of the population view with moral opprobrium and that traditionally America is viewed with moral opprobrium. It, this is why the argument of don't say gay isn't really about LGBT. It's about, it could be don't say straight too. No, that's not exactly right. It's not exactly right. So I agree. Teachers It's not that teachers need to completely shut their mouths up and can never mention that they even have a husband. 
Teachers need to be appropriate, and appropriate implies standards, and we need to enforce traditional standards or else we're going to get the wacko stuff from the libs, and we're going to be transing five-year-olds. And that is, since you signed it, since you signed it with pre-order speechless controlling words controlling minds, you, you know, that is the thesis of my book, which is available now for order and the paperback's available for pre-order. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 